So glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for coming and squeezing in. You won't have to do that next week. We start our two-service schedule next week that will run until school is out in May. And so there will be a service in the uh, Family Center that starts at 9.55, and then, of course, our normal service in here at 10. Many people have asked that maybe haven't been here regularly, how does that work? How are you in two places at once? Um, You know, we we thought about this, and, and we thought, well, we can pipe in video But you know what, you can sit at home and watch the television program that we have every Sunday morning at 10, or you can sit on Facebook and watch the live stream. So how do you do two services where everything's live? Well, we just reverse the order. So I'll be preaching in the Family Center, come over here, be preaching in here. You'll get the same experience whichever place you attend. So hopefully this frees up some room, and hopefully we have to make another decision not long from now about what to do with the crowd. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you've chosen to be with us. How many of you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? You remember those? I wasn't much of a reader, but uh, I enjoyed these. I think I read every one in the series. These were written from a second-person perspective where you as the reader got to be a detective or a doctor or a private investigator, and you would make decisions as you read the book as to what course the story would take. And so you would make a decision on one page that would take you to a different page. Then you'd make another decision that would take you to a different page until you came to the end and the ending was all up to you. You got to choose how the story ended. And then of course you went to the end and it played out that way. The Bible's sort of like that, isn't it? The Bible is sort of like that. In the pages of Scripture, there are stories within a story. And as New Testament Christians in the New Testament church, you're a part of this story. And the moment that you obeyed the gospel and became a Christian, you got inserted into that story. Jack read it a moment ago, Galatians 3, verses 27 through 29 reads, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Who do you think Paul's talking about here? Well, obviously he's talking to the Galatian Christians, but he's talking about us. We are Abraham's descendants. We are heirs according to promise. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see God bringing judgment or punishment upon His people in order to bring them into compliance. Thus, we see God prospering His people when they do well, and we see Him bringing um, difficulties upon them when He's trying to bring them back into compliance. We see this play out in the book of Judges. That's a really good summary of all of this. 300 years A cycle of prosperity, of disobedience, of of difficulty and calamity, and then repentance, and then back to prosperity. While God punishes his people, and we see that in the Old Testament, we also see that his reason is benevolent in nature. God loves his people. He wants them to be with him. He wants them in good standing with him. And so these events that we see play out in order to bring them to compliance is because he wants to be close to them. Of course, we see a phrase mentioned over and over again, especially in the minor prophets. It's the phrase, the day of the Lord. And this phrase 
is representative of a time in the future where God will defeat evil and save the world. And so this theme is at the forefront on our minds as we read the minor prophets, especially like Joel. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, starting in verse 18, we read these words. It says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and he will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. But I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have, have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. Do you see us here? Do you see us in this? We were blessed through Israel. We were blessed through the seed of Abraham. Most of the prophets, they point forward to this day of the Lord, a day in the future that will, that will be both horrible and wonderful. It'll be horrible for those who chose to be on the side of the enemy. For those who choose not to be on the side of God, it'll be a horrible day, but it'll be a blessed day, a glorious day for those who choose to be children of God. And we're not just talking about Israel here. We're talking about us. Because as the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who paves the way for all to come into the kingdom, that's what he has done for us. For all of us, he has expanded the kingdom. So we see this theme play out through the entire Old Testament that the day of the Lord is coming, that there will be judgment and blessing. Look at verses 28 and 29 of Joel chapter 2. It says, and it will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In other words, a, a time is coming. A day is coming when, when God will pour out his spirit on both Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave or free. I mean, it sounds a lot like Galatians 3, doesn't it? And it should. Galatians 3 is a signature passage that talks about expanding the kingdom of God that plays off the promise of Abraham. Look at verses 30 and following. It says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whatever or whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. The Israelites knew that this day was coming. They knew it was coming. They anticipated. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They anticipated this day, but there would also be darkness on this day. As I said a while ago, it would be a sad day for some. It would be a sad day for those who chose to be on the other side against God. It would be a glorious day, a day in which those who were on God's side would have prosperity, 
and be blessed. Joel describes it as a day in which all nations will be gathered into a valley of decision. That's Joel chapter 3. God is declaring war on the nations that oppose him. Those people who oppose him. Notice verse 9 and following of Joel 3. It says, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So these nations are going to war against God, and they're going to lose, no doubt. In the process, they will be judged. They will be judged for how they have treated God's people. They will be judged for their evil, but God's people are going to be blessed. They will prosper. They will no longer have any need. Look at verses 18 through 21. It says, And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for all generations and I will avenge their blood which I have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion. In this day, in this day God's people will be more than taken care of. So when is this day? When will it come? Turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And as the Spirit of God is poured out on the apostles on the day of Pentecost, as Jews from every nation are gathered for the festival in Jerusalem, the people wondered what was going on. Surely the apostles were drunk because they're acting so senselessly. And Peter says, no, 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 they're not drunk. What's happening is what Joel talked about. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what Peter's message is here as he quotes Joel? You know what his message is? The last days are here. That time that he talked about, the time that the minor prophets talked about, they are here. The days of the Messiah have come. God has sent his son to show a better, more perfect way. And what did you do to him? Peter says. Well, you killed him, right? You murdered the Messiah. Now, what did the people know that were hearing this? The people that were in the audience that day hearing Peter's sermon, what did they know? Well, certainly they knew about the Messianic kingdom. They knew what that meant. Surely they knew what it meant for them, that it meant blessing and not curse. And surely they knew that it meant judgment for God's enemies. So it became crystal clear in that moment that they were not on the side of God. In that moment, at least for many of them, it was a light bulb moment. Oh, I killed God's anointed. I had a hand in this. 
I am not on God's side. In fact, I'm an enemy of God. Though they consider themselves God's people, Peter points out that they had aligned themselves with God's enemies. The day of blessing and curse are here, and you're not on the right side. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. They knew exactly what that meant. They were a part of that generation. They were now a part of those who killed the prophets, who rebelled against God and his people. They were not a part of the chosen. They were the enemy. And Peter says, save yourself because there's still hope. Even after all of this, there is still hope. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get on God's side. In other words, God is not through with you. God's not done with you. Not yet. He desires to pour out his blessings. You don't have to be an enemy of God. Peter's audience found themselves where Joel talked about in the valley of decision and some 3,000 made the right decision and were baptized that day and added to the Lord's church. You see where this is going. Those of you who are sitting here this morning as children of God, you are the spiritual Israel. You are on the side of God. His blessings have been poured out upon you. Spiritual riches that are bountiful. You chose to leave the enemy's side and to be in fellowship with the Lord. So heaven is on the horizon. Your future is so bright you need sunglasses. You had the choice and you chose wisely. Now, Let's get to where we're really trying to go to this morning. Revelation chapter 22. If you're visiting with us, we have walked through the New Testament this year. And without a doubt, Revelation has been some of the most difficult, at least for me, to kind of hash out and say, okay, what do I want to say about this book? And what can I afford to leave out? Because there's a lot of weeds that we could wade through here. But I want to end our year walking through the New Testament with the last word. Revelation 22, starting in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still filthy. And let, no, let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book he who testifies to these things says yes i am coming quickly amen come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with you all amen you ever get halfway through a book or a movie and you can see how it's going to end 
It kind of uh, is anticlimactic, right? You get halfway through and you're like, oh, yeah, I know how this is going to turn out. You ever be talking with someone and as they're telling you a story, you know where the story is going to end up? Or maybe they're telling you a joke and as they tell you the joke, you can kind of see the punchline coming. It's kind of anticlimactic. But when you read through Scripture, especially if you've done it more than once, you know how it's going to end. And it's not anticlimactic. In fact, it should be encouraging every time we read it. We should, instead of looking at the book of Revelation as some doom and gloom, eerie, scary book, we should be reading the book of Revelation and looking at it like, oh yeah, okay, I I see that. Now I see it. Now I see how it all falls into place. It's like a puzzle and the pieces all coming together and fitting together. And you begin to see where the whole thing is heading, right? The Bible is a story about redemption. What fell apart in the garden is going to be restored. God will restore what, he has, broke, what has been broken. No more sin, no more curse, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. So while Revelation can be kind of eerie and scary, it really should be a book that we read it and we say, yes, this makes sense. It all comes together. Of course, you know, our confusion about the book is it really comes from those who have so butchered it in their interpretation of it. But when you read it for what it is, when you read it as apocalyptic language, when you read it with the end in mind, then it becomes the perfect ending to the perfect book with the perfect message, right? I've said it many times over the last few weeks, really over the last year. The theme of the book of Revelation is we win. In fact, we could say it like this. The theme of the book of Revelation is God wins. And because God wins, those who are on the side of God win as well. And therefore, those on the side of God are those, the Abraham descendants, those who get blessing and not curse, those who are living in these last days and have the hope of heaven on the horizon. Revelation is the perfect ending to the perfect book with the perfect message. And Revelation chapter 22 is Jesus giving one last invitation, one last opportunity to be on the winning side. Notice what it says, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The day of the Lord is coming, a day is coming in which our Lord will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. Take note of what Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse five states, it says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and they will be, and they, he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There will come a day when God will witness 100% attendance. And it will be, of course, the day of judgment. Scripture presents the day of judgment as kind of two-sided. You have those on God's side and those on the enemy's side. Those who are Christians were once on the enemy's side. Many of you, you were once in darkness. You were once on the enemy's side. Now you're on God's side because you have answered the invitation. Still others have not. You can look at these passages in Revelation 21 and 22 and you can see them as doom and gloom and scary and all that, but I would hope that we would also read them with hope. 
I would hope that we would see the hope in these passages. I would hope that we would see the horizon. The Bible ends with a warning. The Bible has a lot of warnings contained within it, but it also ends with an invitation. One last call from Jesus to leave the dark side and come over to the side of the Lord. I was sitting in an airport not long ago, and I sat there patiently waiting for them to call so that we could board. And it was a busy airport, and as I was sitting there, the terminal area was really busy. And I noticed as I was people watching, there were two groups, two distinct groups of people there. There were people like me who sat and waited patiently for them to call my seat. Some were listening to music on their earbuds. Some were looking at their phones. Some were sitting in the floor actually playing cards. And among this group that was sitting patiently was another group. And they were not so patient. And they were not so comfortable. They kept racing back and forth to the ticket counter asking questions. They were scurrying around. They were pacing. They were on their phone. You could tell they were stressed out. And it it hit me. The difference between the two groups of people was one of them had a reserved seat on the plane and the other group was flying standby. The people in my group could sit and wait patiently knowing that they had a seat on the plane. That when it came time to board, we were going to get on that plane, get in our seat, and barring anything unforeseen, we were going to sleep in our own bed that night. But for the other group, they wondered if they were ever going to make it home. They didn't have a reserved seat on the plane. If you knew that Jesus was coming back in the next 30 minutes, what group would you be in? Would you be able to sit comfortably? waiting for him to arrive, knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Would you be nervous? Would you be pacing? Would you be stressed? Knowing. Knowing that this may not end well for you. Do you know how you avoid an upset stomach on the day of judgment? By answering the invitation now. That's how. Look, Revelation falls under the category of eschatology, and that's just a fancy word for the study of last things or the study of end times. That's all that is. The book of Revelation may be hard to understand. It may be a little confusing. Okay, it may be a lot confusing. Some completely butcher its interpretation, but the thing that is abundantly clear and cannot be denied is something that's reiterated over and over again in Scripture is that life is going somewhere. This life isn't all that there is. Everyone will have eternal life. Everyone has eternal life. We often talk about Christians having eternal life. No, we all have eternal life. Every single soul will live eternally. But where? That's the question. And at the end, that's really the only question that matters, right? Many of you are in the valley of decision. And the Bible is kind of like those uh, choose-your-own-adventure books. You get to read it and accept the words that are written there, and you can do with them what you want. You have that freedom. You can make a decision to be a part of the story and thus have a happy ending. Or you can make a decision not to be a part of the story and to be on the other side and and therefore you don't have to live by, you know, the so-called restrictions and things of that nature. You have that choice. 
But, you know, with the Choose Your Own Adventure books, if you don't like the ending, you know what you can do? You can go back and read it again and pick the ending that's different. You can't do that with the Bible. Here's something else. The decision you make, understand that it's going to make you. The decision you make, you've got to live with. Whenever Christ returns, or whenever you leave this world, whichever comes first, at that point your fate is sealed. We're going to talk about this later next year, and we're going to talk more about Judgment Day and all the myths surrounding it. We're going to discuss that more, more openly and look at some different things. But we often look at the Day of Judgment as a trial, and I'm standing in line, and I'm waiting to get up to the desk where God's going to judge me or Jesus is going to judge me, right? And he's got a scale there, and he's weighing out the good and the bad, and we hope that the scales tip in our favor. And if they do, he says, go on, you go through the pearly gates. And if not, he pulls a lever and releases a trap door, and you go to hell. That's how we think of judgment oftentimes there is no trial the day of judgment is not a trial the day of judgment is not a day when the evidence is being weighed sheep are sheep and goats are goats bottom line this is not a day where you're waiting to be declared be declared guilty or innocent if you're in Christ you're innocent even though you're guilty right and if you're on the other side Sad to say you're doomed, right? I think the whole point is that the day of the Lord is here. Instead of only seeing it as some fixed date in the future when Jesus returns, think of it as right now. Every day is a day of judgment. And every day that you say no to God, judgment is declared upon you. And every day that you say yes to being a sheep... It's a day that you can live with hope. Does anyone know what the very last word in the Bible is? I kind of gave it away a while ago. You know what the very last word in the Bible is? It's the word amen. How appropriate, right? What does the word amen mean? Well, be careful how you answer that because there's a lot of different meanings for that word and it depends on the, the context, its usage to determine its meaning. But right here, as the very last word in the Bible... It means, let it be so. So be it. At the end of Revelation 22, at the very end of the Bible, a statement is made, and it's the statement, Amen. Everything that's been said has been said. There is no more mystery. There's nothing else to reveal. This is it. So you know what? The ball is in your court. It's as if... The Holy Spirit is saying with this last word, so what are you going to do? you got a decision to make, right? You can live by these words or not, but it's up to you. In other words, the last word, that amen, is basically saying, you know the story. Are you going to be a part of that story? My favorite TV show is Lone Star Law. Anybody like that show? You've never seen the show. It's uh, kind of a documentary. Cameras follow around uh, Texas game wardens as they patrol the waterways, as they you know rescue animals, as they pull over uh, you know uh, folks who have not obeyed the law. You know sometimes they confront poachers, all those kind of things. So a lot of the the, the scenery and a lot of the stuff that you see on the show, you've probably been to. You know there. I mean, in fact, they follow 
Mr. Cummings, who's one of our game wardens right here in Abilene. So, you know, he's going down to Vicky's in, in Tuscola the other day and, you know, showing that. It's really neat if you follow the show to see these different places and to see this is right here in our own backyard, right? One of my favorite guys is Benny Richards. He's a game warden over in the Greenville area. And the other night I'm watching the show and he pulls someone over on a traffic stop. And a recurring theme throughout the show, and it's really a recurring theme on any cop show or any documentary like that, is when you pull someone over, they never did anything wrong. You notice that? They'll say, well, you know why I pulled you over? No, I have no idea. Another recurring theme is that they will say, oftentimes, the officer will, I need you to be honest with me. And they never are. Never. I mean, they could be caught red-handed. The game warden may have some incriminating evidence that the perpetrator doesn't know that he has. And still, it's not mine. It's not my car. Oh, that marijuana, that's not mine. Nothing is ever theirs and nothing is ever their fault. Until they get backed in a corner, they deny, deny, deny until they can't get out of it any longer and they come clean. But anyway, Mr. Richards had pulled this guy over the other night. And he'd been around the block a few times, so he wasn't buying any of this guy's story. And he says something to him that I took note of, something pretty profound, whether he realized it or not. He said, look, I'm not looking for a reason to take you to jail. I'm looking for a reason not to take you to jail. My friends, that's God. God's not looking for a reason to send you to hell. He's looking for a reason not to send you to hell. And it drives me nuts when I hear people talk about, blog about, preach about that this God who sent his only begotten son to die a cruel death on a cruel cross, to be mocked and beaten and ridiculed, and, and, and to be, you know, have the nails driven through his wrist and his feet and have the spear thrust through his side, that, he's, that, that God is sitting up in heaven trying to catch you on some technicality. Really? That's the God that's presented in Scripture? The God that you serve? That sent his only begotten son? so that you can be saved from the fires of hell. So God is really sitting up in heaven, making sure you dot every I and cross every T, and if you don't, he's going to wad you up like a napkin and throw you in the fires of hell. That's what you believe. I don't. I believe you have to step over the cross of Christ to get to hell. I believe God has done everything possible to keep you from going to hell. God wants you with him in heaven. God wants you on his side. So what do you do? Here's what you do. You answer the invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Fix your sin problem. You got a sin problem? What are you waiting on? Fix it. Why aren't you fixing it? The day of the Lord is here. You say, well, I've got time. You know, we don't know when he's coming back, but it's probably not today. No, the day of the Lord is here. The time to fix it is now. Repent. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Contact the blood of Christ if that's what you need to do. Live for Him. Be faithful until death. Live for Him. Don't, don't just wait for Him to come. You know, the, the fact that Jesus is coming back doesn't mean that we hunker down and just wait. Work, serve, let Jesus find you being Jesus when He returns, and pray. Pray for the lost. Pray for your own soul, because you certainly need it as well. Pray that you can, that you can be better Pray that you can be someone who is spiritually well. Pray that you can be someone who seeks to do God's will in all things. Answer the invitation. Fix your problem. Live for Him and pray. And understand that instead of looking at Judgment Day as some day far off in the distance, 
It's here. It's here. It's now. You're in the valley of decision. What are you going to do? Let me leave you with these words. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So be it. The ball is in your court. Whose side are you on?